0: All right, guys, welcome to Creating Madness. We got another fantastic interview today. We got Steve Donahue on the show, former Cornell coach, former Boston College coach, and the current coach of the University of Pennsylvania. But first, before we get into the interview, we want to shout out the Unwrapped Sports Network. They are our official podcast network uh, partner of the Creating Madness podcast. Uh, Make sure to check out all their socials, their Instagram, Twitter, their other partner podcasts just like us. And make sure to check out the Patreon, which is $1 to become a fan, $5 for the exclusive Discord chat for sports fans just like you, and $10 to to get the signed giveaway, as long with with everything else in the $5 tier. We had uh, Keenan Allen in the past, Steve Montgomery. We got great athletes every month in the signed giveaway. So make sure to check that out for the Unwrapped Sports Network. All right, Ethan, John, without further ado, we want to introduce our guests. Again, he is a former uh, college coach for Cornell, former college coach for Boston College, and the current coach of the University of Pennsylvania Quaker basketball program. Please welcome Steve Donahue. Coach, how are you doing?
1: What's up, guys? Great to be on with you.
0: So I'm going to get right into it. So the 2019 season, when we last played, um, had a list of injuries, a lot of injuries, to be frank, with key players like Michael Wong, Jonah Charles, Jelani Williams, and Bryce Washington. Uh, Any update on what we might expect
1: from some of those names in the coming season? Wow. So Jelani Williams was a three-time ACL. Uh, Has never played a college game, and we were hoping that 2020 would be it. Um, He's 100%. He played all spring with us, and he looks great. He's a big point guard, uh, can play a lot of positions, but his IQ and passing are probably – Two of his main attributes. Bryce um, had operation on his wrist; should be 100%. Michael Wong, microfracture surgery, um, has been working out with the China national senior team. He's the youngest guy on that team. Um, I don't think he'll make the team, so uh, he's 100%. And Jonah Charles uh, had two broken bones in each foot. Uh, he also played all spring, and he's 100%. Definitely, and
0: that's good to hear. We'll have a probably full pen roster coming to the season. Ethan, how about your first question?
2: Oh, yeah, It's great to hear that those players are all doing good. I'm more interested in probably one of the younger players on your team. You guys have a key freshman coming into the system, Gus Larson from Northfield Mount Hermon, where, as Ben's mentioned before, lots of Ivy League products come out of How will Gus impact
1: the team on his first season? Yeah, I thought um, Gus was a great prospect. And then he commits to us, and then we get to really watch him on film. Northfield Mount Hermon was one of the few schools that really streamed everything. So I watched him in the fall, uh, and I thought he was good. Uh, Without any games, they really trained. They lifted. He got bigger, stronger. And he was a different player in the spring. And I think he's going to come in here and make an impact. He's all 6'10", very good athlete, become a very good three-point shooter. I think he's versatile enough to play on the perimeter, even a three-spot at times. So I'm excited about the prospects uh, for Gus.
2: Us as well. Coach, the reason I asked that was me and Ben had the opportunity to talk with Gus about a couple months ago. He was very excited to play for the Penn program.
1: Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah. hey coach so
3: um i actually went to y'all's 2019 summer prospect camp um i had a great time but uh more importantly i learned a lot about y'all's offense and so i see that y'all are very efficient um and i'm looking at some stats in the 2019 season right now because 2020 stats are a little shaky but y'all are in the top three in turnover margin you know the, the good way obviously uh top three in assisted turnover ratio and as for individual leaders i'm a.j broder and guys like Devin Goodman are um, in the top 10 assists and assist to turnover ratio. Um, so I was wondering, you know, it's kind of a two-part question, why you'll value, you know, getting um, good quality shots off of assists so much and then where you, you know, develop this offense or how you develop this offense over all these years?
1: Well, um, I'll touch on a couple of things. One, the 2019 season, and really our Achilles heel when we don't play well is we don't have consistent shooting. From the perimeter, it's just been a, you know, I think Ryan Bentley's injury, Jonah Charles' injury, Michael Wong's injury, even Bryce Washington. Guys who I think are good players, but most importantly, some of our better shooters. So I do think that hurts. In terms of style of play, when I was at Cornell, um, just struggled for about four or five years trying to figure out how we can play with, at that point, Penn and Princeton because they were so dominant. So I figured we got to come up with a a little bit of a unique style. Um, And we made a couple trips to Europe as a team. And then I went back over there and really studied the game. And most of the things that we incorporated at Cornell on our sweet 16 run was based on really your top European teams and what they play like. And honestly, now how NBA teams play. So that's kind of how it evolved. Um, And that's, kind of how we sell to kids to come in and play. It's a fun way to play, but even more importantly, it's going to be a way you're going to be asked to play as a professional.
0: Yeah, speaking of coaching style, uh, there's a little bit of a coaching pyramid going on at Penn, and that all starts with Fran Dumphy, who eventually went to Temple and is now retired, but it did form a coaching tree out of Coach Dunphy. Uh Matt Langle went to Colgate. Andy Toole went to Robert Morris, and here you are back at Penn. Uh, what was the most important thing that you learned in working with Coach Dumphy?
1: I was fortunate to be with him 10 years, um, and I think the most important things I learned probably were off the court. Um, his ability to be very competitive on the court and then treat people uh, so remarkably well off the court. No matter what the situation, Um, just an incredible giving person, um, Himself, respectful from everybody involved in the program, whether it's a janitor, ticket salesman, uh, administrator. Uh, Dump had uh, an incredible ability to make those people feel good about themselves. Um, That's really what I took away from, because at that point in my career, I really had no idea you know, how a coach acts and how he keeps all these emotions intact. And I thought modeling Fran Duffy would be a pretty good way to go. And I'm not Fran Duffy, but I tried my best to to treat people like he did um, on and off the court.
0: Absolutely. A lot of uh, coaches um, who uh, end up being successful in division one come from coach Fran Duffy, an extraordinary coach and you're among the ranks with them from your experience as a head coach. Uh, Ethan?
2: Oh, yeah. Moving more into this season, you guys start off the year with the Myrtle Beach Invitation, which has several very high-quality teams. Are you looking at any of these specific teams matchup-wise?
1: Well, we'll probably play a couple more bigger games before that. Um, it's not official, but we have an ACC team on the schedule, an Atlantic 10 team on the schedule before those games. Um, I think at this point, uh, you don't, they haven't got the matchups, but I love those tournaments. It's a neutral site. They're all on ESPN. We're obviously challenged with great competition, but I think it's something that we love to do at Penn and that's how we recruit. We tell kids we're going to be in these kind of uh, elite events uh, and obviously we love to win, but more importantly, I just think it's a great opportunity to prepare for the Ivy and get you ready. Uh, And that's what we've done in the past. And I hope to do it this year. Yeah. John.
3: So coach, um, I saw you, you know, you got hired in 2015 and, you know, you just came off another great coaching job. I was wondering, you know, what initially drew you um, to university of Pennsylvania? was it the palestra. Was it the urban environment in the city of Philadelphia? Was it the history of UPenn basketball? You know, what, What are the key factors that drove you to be a coach at um, this university?
1: You know, there's a lot of things that go into it. I took a year off after BC and I worked for ESPN and Fox and got a chance to see a lot of different programs. And, you know, I I, kind of evaluated the landscape of college basketball. And honestly, I wasn't too excited when I saw some of the opportunities that were coming. And what I mean by that, there's so much going on in college basketball, it's hard to find a great place. And everybody's you know, definition of a great place is different. But for me, it's the ability to attract great people to a, a place that can win, that's committed to winning. Um, and then with that, someone that values education. Um, and that's me. So Penn does that. And, There's very few jobs in America that are like Penn that really care about winning and can win nationally and attract kids over some really good schools because of everything it offers. So, yes, it's home. Yes, I coached there before. The is incredible. But it's kind of those other things that I talked about that really I feel grateful that I'm at Penn. So there's been a
0: long time Ivy debate, and it is about the academic index and of different financial aid policies across the schools in the Ivy League uh, and how it affects the recruiting in each schools when it comes to sports. You know, do you think these two aspects of recruiting create advantages for some schools in the league over others? And how do you how well do you think Penn is positioned against uh, some of the other schools in the league? Man, you're digging
1: deep there. You're talking index and everything. You know, um, I don't think the index has anything to do with an advantage or disadvantage between the eight schools. We all go by that uh, marker. Um, so I don't think there's anything that you can draw from it. Um, the financial aid, um, I would hope that if a kid decides to go to one of the IVs that he gets the best financial aid possible and that no school has an advantage. Is that true? hundred percent of the time Uh, there's no telling, but I, I do feel that most of us in this league, the men's basketball anyway, are aware of the kids and do enough work to understand what their financial aid packages are and hopeful that they're doing their best to recruit the kid and give him, whatever is the best aid package out there? I don't think it's advantage, but could it be at times? I'm sure there are some times where uh, some financial aid at different schools were slightly better than others.
0: I appreciate your take and your honesty coach. Uh, Ethan.
2: Oh, yeah, going back to your answer for John's, you mentioned the Palestra. beautiful stadium. What's the atmosphere like that in all of your home games since it is probably one of the at bare minimum top two stadiums in college basketball.
1: Yeah, there's nothing like being a college basketball player, getting your chance. For us, playing 60 home games in your career, Um, it's the most intimate facility in America. And the last row guy in a 9,500-seat arena is on top of you. You have a great effect of the game as a fan. It's a great place to play, coach. Uh, and I've heard referees get excited. Um, there's really no words to describe when the place is packed and you're playing a elite team. Um, it, it's why college basketball, I think, is different than most other sports. It's that intimacy of the fans, and a place like the Palestra just magnifies it. Yeah,
2: mean, full season to watch.
1: Yeah. So,
3: um, you know, you've obviously had some absolutely insane moments, whether it's winning the Ivy League um, conference championship or taking or slaying giant Philly, that's Villanova. Um, you know, maybe that's one of the more obvious moments. Um, what is one of the moments, you know, that you've made at the University of Penn that's really stuck with you? Um, just a moment that you'll remember the rest of your life.
1: There's a lot of little things, guys. Um, when you do this long enough, that You kind of remember even more than the games. Um, The euphoria of getting to the point of winning a championship and growing a team and the close struggles you have, those are the things that really get you excited about the eventual championship. I can remember, um, this, I don't know why it's just came to my mind, but Max Rothschild, um, before we played Temple, we were. You know, two and zero in the Paulette, two and zero in the Big Five. We beat Villanova. We're you know we we want this Big Five championship. And I just remember in the locker room, which he usually did was very vocal. We coming off a three-game losing streak, and he we had this Big Five game, and he kept saying it was a must win, it was a must win. And I didn't like that. I don't I don't think I don't want kids to feel that the games are must wins. And when I walked in. And I said, the max in particular, but the team, there's no such thing as a must-win when we're doing everything we can as a group and pulling together. But it's a must-trust. It's a must-trust game. And I just remember their faces looking back at me like, yeah, like it's all we have to do is believe in what we're doing, trust each other, and we're going to be fine. Um, We won the Big Five. We got shirts made up with must-trust. Those are the moments that I think back uh, about different groups and that was one with that group that uh, I'll never forget.
3: You know that's a really that's a really powerful locker room sentiment, and um, you know I've actually seen much shirts around before, and you know that's a pretty cool story. Yeah. And uh, you know you we were talking about the Big Five, and I was just wondering, you know, if you had any, you know, particular, uh, not necessarily animosity, but if Penn had a, had a rival, you know, rather against um, one of the Big Five teams in particular, and I was wondering, you know, your thoughts on that.
1: I, I think it's decade to decade. I think it's changed. Uh, that's the beauty of the Big Five. Everybody knows the holy war of St. Joe's Villanova. Uh, and that is obviously, the, I think, the, the biggest rivalry in the Big Five. Um, but Penn-Villanova game is sold out. And maybe because it's Villanova, but obviously our guys and our kids, our students get more excited for that game because Villanova is, quite frankly, the, the best in the Big Five for a long time. But there was a time, you guys were way too young, that LaSalle dominated, whether it was with Kenny Durrett in the 60s and Michael Brooks in the early 80s and Lionel Simmons in the 90s, that that was everybody's rivalry. And that's the beauty of the Big Five. These games are so hard fought. We all know each other. The guys play pickup with each other. We're going to be playing pickup with St. Joe's guys next week. So it's, it's a unique thing that does not exist anywhere else in the country. And I think it's our duty, honestly, to keep it going and keep it relevant.
0: Absolutely. We're going to go one more question each. And by the way, to shout out that Temple game, uh, it was definitely a must-trust game because one of the leading scores in that game was uh, Kuba Miakowski shooting a (laughs) light out from three. It was amazing, yeah. So definitely trusting the guys on the bench that may not make an impact at first. He definitely made a big impact during that game. So I love the must-trust symbol there. It was very fitting. Uh, that's um, pretty that's
1: a pretty good point, man. That's because that was you know, he was, he was big five players a week that week. And Kuba was like the other guys, full of injuries. And um, but you're right. That was that's a great example of. Him.
0: Yeah. So my last question is uh what are your expectations for, you know, the 2021 season? We haven't played uh the Ivy League hasn't played in two, two years. And the Ivy League tournament will be at Harvard this year. Only once has the Ivy League tournament not featured the four teams of Princeton, Harvard, Yale, and Penn. Princeton got replaced one year by Cornell. Do you think it's going to be the same next year or do you think there's a chance that one of these other teams can sneak in?
1: Yeah, that's you know, I think this is a year that everyone should feel they have a chance. And I, I, got, I could give you a case for those four schools you're referring to um, jumping up and getting into the Ivy tournament. I really do, based on some of the returning players. Uh, but for us, um, the year off gave us a chance to look at what we built. I think we have a good foundation. We won a Big Five championship. We won an Ivy League championship but now we want to take it to another level. And that's how we looked at this year off. This was a year to get better. Uh, we stole the fr- phrase, win the weight. And I think we did. Our guys really came out, practiced for three months, bigger, stronger, better, or deeper than we've ever been, or healthier than we've ever been. And we can't wait to get going.
2: You no, know, I've never looked at it like that. And, That's a brand new light because I heard Ben complaining the entire last college basketball season. Even me and John were that it's upsetting that a full conference is leaving because of COVID for a year. I
1: know. But you look at it this way, guys. Um, We didn't have to worry about games. So we could really train, like really train, like go hard, not have to give them a couple days off because they got a game coming up. And we got in the weight room. And we scrimmaged way more than we ever had, um, and I think we learned a lot and we got a lot better than if we had games. As crazy as that may sound.
0: Definitely, I mean the Ivy League has one of the hardest schedules. I think they are having a schedule change because they used to play Friday Saturday back to back traveling, and I've heard that's changing soon, Coach.
1: Yes, yeah, it's slight. It's, there's going to be maybe three back to backs. One Saturday, Monday with Martin Luther King, and then a lot of single games.
0: Yeah, so it it it, it, it was definitely a hard schedule to begin with, and it may be even harder because yeah. the schedule changed. So yeah, John, your next question, your last question.
3: So you know, I always like to ask um, a fun question at the end, whether it's a player or a coach. And um, you know, do you like? Do you have any time? Um, where it's like kind of like the goofiest moment you've had at Penn, whether it's like an encounter with with a mean guy on the streets of Philly um, or, you know, a funny moment of practice. So do you have any of those uh, for uh, the audience? You know, just a fun, (laughs) funny moment. I
1: don't know why I thought this, because we had an official visit last week and we told the story. We had an incredible official visit. This is when I was an assistant. And I will tell you the player. But we, we did it great. We did it great. And we were walking back to the hotel, and unfortunately, a homeless person jumped out and just started dancing and singing. And and I thought it was hilarious. I just said something like, hey, there's a that's how good our drama club is. They're, they're, they're improvising right here in front of you. What do you think? And the kid didn't think it was funny at all. He was scared. <laughs> at, you know what? He had to check his pants when he went into the, the hotel room, we didn't get the kid. After an incredible visit, that just spooked them too far. <laughs> so I, told, I told that on an official visit. It was pretty funny. Uh,
0: that's funny. Uh, Ethan, uh, last question.
2: Yeah, going to a more serious note, this is your first year without A.J. Broder, a player who broke Ernie Beck's record for scoring in the history of Penn's program. What's going to be the challenges of having your first season without him?
1: Yeah, so I think once again – having the year off and then not playing without him for three months here without you know keeping score a little bit of a blessing i don't from day one uh, you know a center that led the league in assists essentially for two years uh an incredible defensive player all-time shot blocker as well at penn top 10 in assists just an amazing player what I think you'll see guys is we're going to be way different uh, in sense of how we score. I think there's probably 40 concepts that we do on offense, but we won't be going through one guy like we did with AJ as much. And actually looking forward to that. I think it will give us a chance to really grow as much as I miss him, Uh, I do think it's time to move on and and and, and give other guys a chance and, and figure out how to score differently. Coach, thank you so much for your
0: time. We appreciate you joining the show. Before we let you go, we just want to shout out the Unwrap Sports Network one more time. The podcast, the socials, our socials, um, of course, for Creating Madness at ATR Madness on Twitter, underscore Creating Madness on Instagram. DM us if you want a college basketball group chat for Creating Madness. And of course, Coach, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate um, all the meaningful answers you gave us. Uh, Enjoy the season and go Quakers.
1: Thanks for having me, guys. Good luck with everything.
0: Thank you so much. And we will have some more episodes coming out soon. Take care, y'all.